Los Angeles. Welcome back to another episode of the Apologetics.com radio show. My name is Jason Gallagher, and I am your host tonight. We will be with you for the next hour as we challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe. So Apologetics.com, we've been around for about 20 years. We are here every Friday night at midnight, and we have about three or four different hosts that kind of rotate through here on a regular basis. So we're not really about one particular name or personality. We've never really been that way. Uh, we are just some lay Christians who like to come on here and talk to you guys about uh, defending the Christian faith. You know, First Peter 3, 15 and 16, always be ready to give an answer for the reason for the hope that is within you. And so we hope to do that tonight as we Consider the question of, is church essential? Is the church of Jesus Christ an essential service? Is it an essential thing that we should be considering? And uh, we're glad you're joining us tonight, whether you're listening live in Los Angeles on 99.5 FM, maybe you're tuning in to kkla.com and listening online um, or you're listening to the podcast. Maybe you're listening to this recorded. And so we thank you for joining into the conversation. If you want to reach me uh, after hours, so to speak, you can reach me at jason at apologetics.com. That's jason at apologetics.com. And we did want to throw out the number because this show is really about our listeners. It's about you guys. It's about engaging with you guys. And uh, the number is 888 888- 995 KKLA it's 9955552 and for the past 3 months or so we have been just dealing with a tremendous amount of chaos in our lives really since this covid-19 came on the scene we've been dealing with lockdowns quarantines shutting down of businesses shutting down of churches and you know all sorts of other disruptions in our lives so um, if you want to call us tonight and simply um, share your thoughts with us about life and everything that's going on. You know, we have, on top of that today, we have um, a lot of this riots and burning and looting and taking over of cities and a lot of protests and, um, you know, calls to defund the police and a lot of different conversations going on about racism and race and the importance of um, you know loving all people everywhere so if you want to call and share your thoughts on any of this what God has been teaching you during these times if you want to just ask for prayer we are here to do that for you we'd be happy to do that for you again it's 888-995-KKLA 888-995-5552 and joining me tonight, we have two regular guests, you know, one of them is Daniel Adrian. Daniel, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. We need to come up with a good nickname for you. I'm still working on that. And we have, I believe, calling in from Santa Barbara area, the good doctor, that's his name, Eddie Norga. Here I am. Here you are. Thank you for joining us, man. Thanks for staying up late. Um, a regular contributor to Apologetics.com. We always appreciate Eddie's uh, insight. He is a student of the Word of God. Um, he knows God's Word better than uh, many people that I know, and so we value his insights whenever he 
joins us. And so, as I mentioned, the topic is, um, is the Church of Jesus Christ essential? Or I would say, why the Church of Jesus Christ is essential? We are taking the affirmative position in that question. Uh, we believe that the Church is absolutely essential. So tonight we're going to be unpacking, you know, what does it mean to be essential? What does that mean biblically? Uh, what does it mean, what does church mean? You know, there's been a lot of different things thrown out over the past few months in regards to this, you know. Uh, well, we could we could still be the church and, um, you know, not gather and do live streams and so on. Um, the church is not a building, right? You've heard that a lot. And so we're going to kind of unpack some of these ideas and thoughts as we navigate this conversation tonight, you know. Should we have closed? Should we be closed? Uh, does government have the authority to tell us the church to close? Maybe you agree um, that they do. Maybe you disagree. And either way, we would love to hear from you. And um, that's what this is all about, you know, conversations. You know, even in the topic of race and racism and the church's response and what's going on there, you know, is there systemic racism in our lives, in our society, in American history? You know, does systemic racism go back to 1619 when um, people landed on the shores of, of Jamestown? You know, it, does it go that back that far? Have we, are we just still dealing with the same things that were brought over from England? Like, um, is that a true statement? Um, regardless of where you fall on those questions, the important thing is that conversations are important. We need to have these conversations. We need to be able to have them in love in grace, in truth, because those are what's going to move this situation forward, right? I think all of us would agree that um, burning down stores, you know, running in and, and stealing shoes and clothing and, and, and beating people who are trying to uh, protect their businesses, those are the sort of things that are not justice. Those are not in any way forwarding our conversation in terms of racism, which is really just a question of hatred, right? Um, the Sixth Commandment says you shall not murder, but God says, I tell you, if you even hate your brother, you are guilty of murder. And racism is really an evil sin of hatred, right? We should not hate anyone for any reason. The color of their skin, uh, the content of their character, what they believe, what they think. Um, you know, God just does not give us that leeway, to hate anyone. You know, the, the first and second greatest commandments are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And so this is what we want to kind of um, talk about tonight. So we need to be, as Christians, as we challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe, Christians need to be people who can have difficult conversations in a loving manner, and bring the light of God's Word to bear on all sorts of situations, right? Uh, we should be prepared in season and out of season. Um, and so, with that, I wanted to just kind of throw us into this conversation of the essential church, right? What questions need to be established here at the outset of this conversation? So, I'll throw it over to uh, maybe the good doctor in Santa Barbara tonight. 
Eddie, what do you think, as we're talking about the essential church, is church essential, or why is church essential, what is foundational to that conversation? Where do we need to start in order to start answering that question? So certainly there's the in-house discussion amongst believers, and that to answer that question, we would be looking to the Word of God to tell us, well, what is, what, what is the church about? And so certainly the church, the word church comes from the, the Greek word ekklesia, which is the gathering or the congregation. So church itself, the word itself, means this bringing together of people for a particular reason. And certainly one of those is communion, which is another idea of sharing, you know, that we, we're celebrating and sharing and remembering the inauguration of the new covenant by remembering the blood and the body and blood of Christ, which is reconciling us with God. So the church itself and communion are both um, representative of a coming together or gathering. Uh, and then with regards to essential, I think the idea would be that uh, that without this, without a particular attribute, then you change what it is that you're discussing. So just to add a little bit to your introductory comments that the, the you know, that we would probably say that the church is most essential for a society that's free, just, and flourishing. You know, that, that if you want to have a society that's free, just, and flourishing, you would need to have, from a biblical worldview, you would need to have the church. You know, that the church would be an essential part of that society. Okay. Free, just, and flourishing. So the church is a gathering um, ecclesia comes from the Greek word ecclesia. Um, so, Daniel, would you add? What would you add to? I guess starting with the church. Um, I think one of the things that came up in a lot of conversations, you know, with people during this time. You know, some people were perfectly happy to say, "Let's just stop meeting at church. Let's uh, let's go online. Let's live stream. We'll sit in our homes and we'll live stream." And, you know, there's no real problem with that, right? Um, how does maybe the definition of church, as Eddie, Ed, Eddie mentioned, it's a gathering, it's a communion. You know, maybe you could uh, build upon that idea in regards to, you know, the essential nature of the church and, you know, us meeting together as saints. Yeah, I think too many churches skipped us a step, um, whether you look historically, but most importantly, biblically, the options are not, we either have full on unlimited pre COVID-19 corporate worship, no restrictions or absolute closure. And a lot of churches went straight from zero to a hundred. If you want to use kind of a speedometer picture mm -hmm. here they went straight from okay we one week all speed all speed <laughs> yeah all speed all engines are go everything is you know good to go right mm -hmm. uh, full speed ahead uh and then the next week nope full shutdown now the church has not historically dealt with those things uh in that manner with these the, and what i mean by those things are 
you know, these are serious concerns. We obviously want to obey thou shalt not kill and the fullest application of that. And you talked about thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not kill. That extends to upholding and promoting and defending the well-being and the ma- and the maintenance of the well-being of people physically as well as spiritually. So we don't want to put people at risk physically. However, this does not somehow trump the first table of the law or the command to gather together. And of course, the command to gather together is a physical in-person gathering. When you congregate, you you form a congregation from the many different members of the church, which should be of the local community, ideally, and they get together and they worship God. And the communion aspect of this is very relevant because there's a document that all three of us subscribe to, maybe to varying degrees, but that we, th- we find to be an accurate summary of the teaching of God's Word. And in mm-hmm. chapter 26 of the Westminster Confession of Faith, section 2, saints by profession are bound to maintain an holy fellowship and communion in the worship of God and in performing such other spiritual services as tend to their mutual edification. So when we think about mm-hmm. saints by profession, I'm stopping there, that's just the first clause, but it's great, and I highly commend it to you. But Edification we, is an important point. Yeah, exactly. When you're when when we talk about the worship of God in person, I, I've already kind of jumped ahead. But when we talk about the worship of God outside of the family, outside of the home, or outside of the civil sphere, which, by the way, the worship of God belongs to the civil sphere as well, what are we thinking of? We're thinking of an in-person gathering of like-minded—that's by profession—believers. That's what we're looking at. And this is what, in America, we commonly call church, right? We go to church. We're going to church. Oftentimes, people do confuse that with the building. Now, when Mm -hmm. we say, and I think all three of us believe together, that the church is definitely not a building. So the body of believers, the church, the people who make up the church, they can meet anywhere. They can meet from house to house. Mm -hmm. They can meet in a field. They can meet on the beach. But the point is, is that they're still gathering together physically. So I think that's getting at what you were asking me about, I hope. Yeah, no, that is, that's exactly what I was, uh, you know, trying to mention that, you know, us. Yeah, go ahead. The notion of the body, uh, we talked a little bit earlier uh, before we started the program about Acts chapter 9, where, where Saul comes to meet the risen Lord on the road to Damascus, mm. and Christ says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, of course, Christ is sitting at the right hand mm-hmm. of the Father in heaven, and it's what, who, who Paul is per- persecuting is the, is the Church of Jesus Christ. Right. And so there's this intimate bond between Christ and his Church. He's the head of the body. Mm-hmm. So the body... It has many parts that come together, and uh, so so the body of Christ is intimately related to Christ Himself. Uh, also, later in that that chapter, Acts chapter nine, it talks about how Paul, when when Christ is talking to Ananias, he's saying he's saying that Paul has been chosen to carry or to bear his name to the Gentiles. So the role of the Christian, the role of the church is to bear or lift up or carry the name of God 
to those who don't believe, to those who haven't mm. known God. And so that is another essential purpose of the body of Christ, is to go out and complete this ministry of reconciliation, of reconciling people to God, which is essential before people can be reconciled to each other. Amen. Yeah, so in a sense, <clears throat> this ministry of reconciliation is kind of like a, uh, a first responder type job, right? We are uh, to go out to people who are perishing and give them the uh, life-giving message of the gospel. And I just wanted to throw out our number again, 888-995-KKLA. If you want to call in, we do have a caller on the line, um, Elaine. We would like to come over to you and uh, give you some time. You'd like to talk a little bit about the topic um, tonight? Yes, I want to comment on the the importance of the church. Um, I reached back, kind of piggybacking piggybacking on what the last person said, to... um, Colossians, and I was going uh, chapter 1, and I was, I started verse 16, and he says that um, this is Christ. He is before all things, and by him all things consist. And then I want to move on that, you know, he is the church. Um, He's the head of the church because he's the first resurrected one. Mm. And then I wanted to move down, move down to... um, Verse 28, where it says, Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may be, that we may, uh, be present every man perfect in Amen. Christ. And I think that that is the reason that we have the church and why we do need to gather, gather together um, because that's how we learn get the wisdom of who he is because this originated from sin, and I think it had to be rectified through Christ as what God did for us out of love to bring us back into the kingdom of God that we might experience eternal life with Christ. And I'd like to make another statement. Amen. on um, The other statement you were talking about, uh, systemic, uh, systemic, um, uh, systemic racism? Racism? Yeah. I'd like to go to numbers, and I, I don't know for a fact that this is like the the first mention of that of that topic, okay. but if you go to Numbers chapter twelve and uh, one, you talk, you see where Miriam and Aaron yeah. spoke against Moses that he married a, a um, Ethiopian woman, right? Which is normally considered black woman, black race of people. Okay, and then it angered God, and it's and I'm dropping down now to. Um, Oh, to verse 9, where it said the anger of the Lord was kindled against them. Mm. And verse 10 says, Behold, Miriam became leprous, white as snow, and Aaron looked upon Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. They both became leprous. And then Moses prayed for them, and God healed them. So I think that that's probably perhaps the first mention of that that I'm aware of in the Bible. And I think that because of that, I'm not sure that this is something that we're going to be able to, um, I, I don't want to secure, but we're going to get, you know, eradicate on this earth, because I think that's something that goes on until, you know, until we we become like Christ. I don't believe everything is going to be, you know, taken care of on this earth, but it will be once we get to, you know, be with Christ, and that's the importance of the church, 
in order to take situations like this and teach men how in their heart individually they, if they are to be like Christ. These are some of the things that we have to work on in our hearts through Christ. Hmm. Wow. Elaine, thank you so much for those um, <clears throat> those insightful comments, especially uh, that Numbers 12, verse 9. I hadn't it sounds like you've actually done some study and thinking about this whole issue issue of race and racism and um, come to this passage in Numbers 12 here. Um, that's, that's really interesting. I'd like to see what Daniel or Eddie has to, has to say, um, maybe in addition, about maybe either the Colossians 1 passage, you know, preaching Christ, mm-hmm. um, the importance of the gathering in order to preach Christ and or uh, systemic racism and, you know, this passage from Numbers 12. Um, um, I must say this. It wasn't that I put forth any, what you call a real, real effort. This is something, I mean, that, you know, we read the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> and these are things, you know, that's in the Bible and you read it and you know it. I'm 75 years old and that, you know. So, and then I, too, grew up in the South. I grew up in Mississippi until I was, like, eight years old. Mm-hmm. So I've seen racism from a whole different standpoint, you know. Okay. And I think one of the problems right now with this whole issue um, is that um, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's right, because stealing is not right. I, sure. I don't believe in taking anything that does not belong to you, mm-hmm. because God gives us whatever he wants us to have, and, and I think if I'm stealing from you, I'm stealing from the Lord, and that's not what I want to do. Mm. However, I think that each time something like this happens, they put a lot of emphasis on the, on the stealing, you know, and what the people take, on the tangible as opposed to taking it, you know, from the standpoint of what's happening to the soul in man, that they could actually watch the world, know that the world is looking at them, and they're killing with no, you know, no problem in doing it. And what are we saying to society? Is the tangible more important than the intangible? That goes back to Ephesians where he talked about, you know, who we're fighting against. We're not fighting against right. these stores. We're fighting it's against, true. you know, principalities in high places. And I think that um, our society has taken a whole different approach from, you know, with the church and who the church is and who Christ is. And when Christ died, he, cried, he died for the opportunity of each one of these people being saved. And that's why I think we have to be very careful in how we treat situations of what we put more emphasis on. And I believe that um, we represent the church when we let people know that we're not fighting against flesh and blood. We're not fighting mm-hmm. against shoes and stores. You know, we're fighting against the devil, and the devil is having a great time because when he's having a party, you know, we are all talking about that as, as, as opposed to being concerned about the soul of men. We're worried about the shoe souls, you know, and not the soul of men. And, um... Uh, that's all I'm going to say, because this is your program, <laughs> and I keep talking too much. So that's anyway, great. That's, that's my standpoint, and um, you have a good evening, and I'll continue to listen. Elaine, thank you so much for the call. Um, we really appreciate it, and we appreciate you uh, listening and calling in. Okay, and uh, so pray that you would just keep listening. Thank you so much. I, would do, I listen every Friday. <laughs> awesome. Well, we, we appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. 
take note, Los Angeles, you study the Word of God for something akin to 75 years, and you can bring it to bear. You can bring it to bear on the issues of the day, and that's what this program is about, at least in part, right, is to take the Bible, to take the truths that God reveals, and to apply them to the culture, to the society, to politics, dare I say, to every area of life, because the Word of God speaks to all areas of life. So I think that that's a great call. I know we're coming up hard against a break, and I'm looking forward to engaging with the text a little bit. Um, one thing I would say is the note that she struck on being concerned for the souls of the looters, of the rioters, is exactly the mentality we should have. We should be looking at these criminals, because that's what they are, as not only criminals against man's laws and property laws, but criminals against God's law in desperate right. need of a savior, just as we all were. Yeah, and we, the battle is not against flesh and blood. So uh, I think our society and media has tried to put people against people. But we need to remember that this battle is against principalities and rulers and um, not against those uh, flesh and blood people around us. And that's an important point. So thank you, Elaine, for that call. We're up against a break. Uh, this is Jason with Apologetics.com. We'll be right back after these quick messages. What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Everyone has ideas about God. Unfortunately, many people hold false ideas about Him. And these ideas have consequences. Some false ideas have led people to worship a God of their own making, while others have led people to reject God altogether. This year, we've devoted an entire conference to answering the most common false ideas about God. Is God anti-gay? Is God good? Do Muslims and Christians worship the same God? These are just a few of the topics we'll be addressing. The only way to guard against false ideas is to fill our minds with true ideas. So join me and a number of other speakers at one of this year's Rethink Apologetic Student Conferences. Find out more information about Rethink by going to RethinkApologetics.com. That's RethinkApologetics.com. We're at war. It's not a war of bombs and bayonets. It's not a war against flesh and blood. In fact, it's not a physical war at all. It's a spiritual war. That's why Paul instructs us to put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The devil's primary scheme is deception. He wants us to believe false ideas about God. And the only way to guard against false ideas is to fill our minds with true ideas. Simply put, we combat deception with truth. It's unfathomable to imagine sending young men and women off to fight a physical war without proper training. Yet, when it comes to spiritual warfare, we do this all the time. The vast majority of our students are simply not prepared for the spiritual battle that awaits them. At this year's Rethink Apologetic Student Conferences, we're training students to counter the lies of the enemy. Lies like God does not exist, God is anti-gay, Muslims and Christians worship the same God are just a few of the false ideas we'll be addressing. So join me and a number of other speakers at one of this year's Rethink Apologetic Student Conferences. Find out more information about Rethink by going to RethinkApologetics.com. That's RethinkApologetics.com. The mission of Apologetics.com is to challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe on the radio, on the internet, and now in the Life of the Mind conferences. If you believe in the work that Apologetics.com is doing, we encourage you to support us with your prayers and also with your tax-deductible gift so that this ministry will continue on the air, on the web, and in events near you. 
Gifts of any amount are appreciated, and it's very simple to participate. Just go to apologetics.com and click donate. It's safe and secure. Or you can send your check or money order to apologetics.com, 1900 Southwestern Avenue, San Pedro, California, 90732. Thank you for supporting apologetics.com. All right, let's get back to the apologetics.com radio show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the second half of the Apologetics.com radio show. Thanks for tuning in with us. If you are just joining us, uh, my name is Jason Gallagher. I'm the host tonight of Apologetics.com radio show where we challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe. I am in studio with Daniel Adrian, the man with the beard, and the good <laughs> doctor now. The good doctor, calling in from Santa Barbara. Eddie, are you still with us? Yeah, I'm here. All right, excellent. Thanks for hanging in there. I wanted to, we just had a great caller, Elaine, and she is um, just a student of the Word. She mentioned that she has been just reading the Word. She's 75 years old. She knows the Scriptures. And she brought up, um, you know, we've been talking about the essential nature of the church. Is church essential? And we are um, resoundingly saying, yes, it is. The church is absolutely essential. We cannot go without the gathering of the saints. And um, and she called in to kind of add some of her thoughts. And, you know, Eddie talked about how the church is essential in providing the foundation for a society which is free and just and flourishing, prospering. And we talked about how, you know, true justice um the church is the true foundation for true justice and social justice. And so as we're dealing with systemic racism or a lot of those ideas that are being thrown around lately, um, Elaine brought up Numbers 12, you know, verse 9. And I, I just I didn't get a chance to kind of see Eddie uh, or Daniel if you guys had any thoughts in regard to that specific passage uh, where Miriam and Aaron opposed Moses um, in regards to how that might relate to this topic of racism that is, um, you know, really, really well, you prevalent know, I, right now. I think it goes back even before then to Genesis or the Tower of Babel, mm. you know, with the confusion of the languages, which was the foundation for the development of new tribes, quote-unquote, tongues and nations, uh, and that, that we saw that God looked down upon man's effort to control and understand reality apart from him, and said this is a fruitless venture, and he's going to slow that down by confusing the languages, and that resulted in um, in 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 segregation and ethnicities and languages. Um, so that's kind of one aspect. You see an undoing of that in uh, in a symbolic sense at Pentecost when. Um, when the Holy Spirit comes, and all of a sudden people from different ethnicities and different countries and different parts of the, the world were now able to understand each other. Hmm. You know, so there's this symbolic and temporary undoing of this confusion of the languages. And then we see it yet further when you look at Revelation chapter 7, uh, when John is looking forward to the... Uh, to the multitude, an innumerable multitude, 
from every tongue, tribe, and nation, or every nation, whatever, uh, you know, that are have come together to worship God. And so here we have people from every ethnic background uh, that have come together under a common constitution, you know, the constitution or a covenant that is a, a, a covenant that's wrought by God is what brings people get together. So in order to bring diverse people together, you need an objective, transcendent standard. You know, you need the means by which we would know how to live our lives together in a loving way. And to do that, you would need to have something that transcends our human limitations and our human opinions. And I would say that the only revelation that bears evidence of a transcendent mind is the revelation that comes to us through the Old and New Testaments. And by transcendent, you're referring to something outside of, above, and beyond anything we've experienced? Uh, anything that we've we're even capable of anything we're even capable of okay that is something that is that is above uh, above our pay grade uh so you know in order to understand whether something is going to be good and evil we would number one have need to have an absolute standard by which to measure it and we would have to look into the future to see if our actions would achieve that transcendent standard you know, so right now people are protesting, they're doing these things because perhaps because they're thinking they'd like to in the future create something that's better. But they'd have to look into the future to see if their lawlessness and their anarchy, their moral and intellectual anarchy will lead to more freedom, justice and prosperity, or will it lead to another tyrant? Yeah, those would you be know, the quote unquote protesters. <laughs> They would just need to look back in history and see that every time that there's been intellectual and moral anarchy, that the next thing that follows is tyranny, mm-hmm. and then injustice and poverty. Well, even more foundational to that, God is a God of law, not a God of lawlessness. God is a God of Amen. order, not a God of chaos. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I'm, and I think underlaying something that Dr. Eddie was talking about earlier is we notice in Pentecost— the undoing was the undoing of the confusion. There was no undoing of the differences. God did not create an amalgam. Sure. He didn't make everyone look the same at that point, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he ordained that these differences would fall out over time. And who knows, the Bible record is not explicit on how different one brother was from another uh, early on in the human record. Mm-hmm. So it would be speculation on either side. But what we do know is that these differences are made manifest by God's providential ordering of all things as we move through time. Mm-hmm. And those differences sometimes fold together. We have mergings of people. Remember Italy at one point was a lot of different little city-states, Greece as well, so on and so forth. We have a lot of uh, that in our record. Nations are a rather new concept, actually, but that's probably beyond the bounds of what we're talking about right now. So I just wanted to note that, and that you see that difference even in Revelation 7, and that makes people uncomfortable, because a lot of people are getting too much of their theology from Immanuel Kant rather than from the Bible. And Immanuel Kant, the reason why I asked about transcendence, is uh, he's someone who's Mm -hmm. muddied the waters on the concept of transcendence. So we want to make sure that 
if we're Kantian to any degree, it's only insofar as he's biblical. Or if we're, I don't know, modern or postmodern to any degree, it's only insofar as it's biblical. So all that to say, when we get to when we get to this passage with Miriam, what we see is we see a potential, we see a plausible case that could be made for making an idol out of what you or what in this case, what they looked like, what their group was. Mm-hmm. And that's never okay. We can never make an idol out of anything. We should worship the God, the, the one true God, the Lord God, Jehovah alone, and have no other gods before him. And that's what I would simply put as a, as a companion piece to what you said earlier, Jason, which is we also can't have hate in our heart. And what we find is whenever we create an idol, whenever we enthrone something that only God has proper claim to, has the right to. We actually do harbor hatred in our heart towards him and actually towards the object because obviously Mm -hmm. whatever that thing is, it can never fulfill the place of God, even if it's your wife or your family or things we would say are good. Right. So if you guys haven't, if it hasn't been explicitly stated, um, we are of the position that racism is indeed a wicked and evil sin. Right, it is um, something that cannot and should not be tolerated. It's something that needs to be repented of. Um, we all need to search our hearts for any any sort of uh, racist or hateful thoughts that we harbor towards our neighbor uh, for any reason, um, you know, whatsoever. And racism itself is a product of the naturalistic Darwinistic worldview. Even Darwin, sure, you know, first title of his book. You know, yep. had to do not only with the um, the the first the title that's remained, but actually, you know, the in the struggle between the races, um, mm-hmm. and you know, and this was the same um, the same idea of struggle and uh, survival of the fittest, you know, was adopted in Hegel's thinking, you know, where you had you know this tension between ideas and something theoretically that would come out from that and it was it was followed with Karl Marx with his dialectical materialism that you would have a struggle between classes and that that would eventually lead to some better thing and uh, that struggle mm-hmm. began back in the time of Marx with you know the rich and the poor the proletarian the, the working class and the uh, bourgeois uh, the, the owners of capital, mm-hmm. and now it's been extended to every other divisive factor with cultural Marxism, where you know where our country is being divided at every possible point by its enemies, uh, whether it's your position on uh, pro-life or pro uh, pro-death, whether it's uh, whether it's on on color whether it's on marriage, you know, that there are all these emotionally and uh, emotionally charged issues that are coming into play to divide people within our country. Uh, Whereas Mm -hmm. the Word of God, the purpose of the Word of God, is to unite separate and different types of people under one king, you know, the Word of God, you know, the, 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 the covenant that came down from heaven. Yeah, and I, I think I think Eddie, just to kind of put an exclamation point on what you're saying, um, I think for our listeners who are so inclined to dig a little deeper, 
um, into this kind of Marxist way of thinking. You know, back then it was more of a, a, a economic Marxist Marxism, right? Um, the wealthy and the poor. And today we have, you know, what people refer to as neo-Marxism. It's a new Marxism where they're doing these divisions um, across every every class that we've – and we're creating these new classes. We've created new classes of genders, right? We've created new classes of sexual orientation, um, you know, and then there's race and then there's marriage, you know. There's sexual orientation. There's pro-choice, pro-life, as Eddie said, and there's red and blue politics and so on. Um, poor and the wealthy and God unites all of this and it kind of goes full circle back to why church is essential why the church should never ever be shut down right we should never cancel church for whatever reason virus plague um, you know you name it Um, and because God unites you know this whole movement, what we're seeing is that, like, we want unity. We want we want to end racism, right? That's the whole, you know, mindset. We want every life to matter, especially black lives, you know. Um, we want all of it to be important. And it's God and his word that actually brings that. The evolutionary worldview um, does not give inherent dignity or value or worth to a person, right? Um According to evolution, we we are just uh, the uh, the byproduct of chance and random mutation, right? We you know whether we evolve into a a, a fish or a, a, a human, um, it makes no difference. There's no more value given to a blade of grass. Why do you give value to a blade of grass? You know more than you would to a human, or vice versa. You know, um, and so this is why this question is so relevant. Um, and we didn't get to unpack it much, um, why church is essential. Um, so I wanted to kind of go back to that a little bit. What does it mean to be essential? Um, and I also haven't given the number out again. If you want to call in, uh, 888-995-5552. It's 888-995-KKLA. Give us a call if you'd like to chime in on this conversation. But Daniel, um, let's talk about what does it mean to be essential? Yeah, can I? I'll clarify one thing and then tie it into essentialness, <laughs> if that's a word. Essentiality. Uh, one thing I would say is, you know, there there's value in a Marxian critique, uh, insofar as uh, there were capitalists who oppressed the poor. Uh, so we we don't want to throw out Marx entirely because if we throw out Marx entirely, we have to throw out every non-Christian thinker entirely. So Aristotle believed that God seems to be only an unmoved mover. Well, God is much more than an unmoved mover, but I guarantee you that one thing God is, is he's an unmoved mover. There's no, God is never the object of motion, right? There's nothing outside that affects him. So if we can, if we can affirm something that Aristotle teaches, and we can talk about all the wickedness in Macedonia and in Greece, which we won't get into today. <laughs> but it gets ugly fast in those older times. We're very blessed. We haven't seen the, the true heart of barbarism in a lot of our uh, nations and, and, and environs. But to tie that in with the essentiality of the church, if, if there is something good in Marx, it's not the Marxists or the neo-Marxists, if there's something good in neo-Marxist thinking, that, who are going to bring that to bear, who are going to apply that to the culture. 
because they don't have the standard by which those things are to be judged. Aristotelianism is not going to promote the good of the people and the glory of God because Aristotelianism is not biblical in the purest sense, right? But if there is something true in Aristotelianism, it's the people of the book. It's the people who have the word of God who will take what is good, plunder the pagans, if you will, and taking those riches enrich the people of God, the wider world, all for the glory of God. Mm -hmm. That's what we're called to do. Not all of us are going to sit and read Das Kapital. <laughs> Not all of us are going to sit mm -hmm. and read all of Aristotle's works, or maybe even one of them. But some of us are, because God has given us different gifts. And Eddie earlier, Dr. Eddie earlier, said something very important, which is that we bear Christ's name. And if we, as the church, we as the church mm. bear his name, we're Christians, right? Little Christs in a very literal sense. Mm -hmm. Not in a weird sense where we're, you know, we have godlike powers, but in that we are, his name is stamped upon us. And that name goes with us into academia, into our engagement with philosophy, with culture, with mm -hmm. race, right? Mm -hmm. One of the big problems is we bring this category of race into the church. Well, Okay, if it's a biblical category, we should do that. But what if it's not a biblical category? Obviously, Dr. Eddie was talking about maybe it's not. And I think it's a complicated conversation that's worth having. That's one of the mm -hmm. things the church really needs to be clear in its messaging on. When we talk about race, what do we mean? Mm -hmm. When we talk about, I don't know, oppressor versus oppressed, what do we mean? So on and so forth. So what that's... The fact that we are the people of the truth, right? We are in the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We're in him. We have to bring these truths, wherever they may be found, all truth is God's truth, to bear on our culture. This is Christian witness, you know, our time, our place. This is our context. Because who else is going to do it? The world? Mm -hmm. The flesh? The devil? No. So it's... Hopefully that ties together this idea of how is it that every Christian listening, I pray you would say, yes, church is essential. Maybe you have a, a definition of church that we need to hammer out, but in terms of the gathering of believers together to mm -hmm. worship God corporately, of course that's mm -hmm. essential. But what does that... all the way back to the temple and the tabernacle, you know, that the tabernacle was the place of meeting and where God's... Uh, God's presence is most clearly manifested to the people of Israel in the tabernacle and with the temple. And then, you know, Peter talks about how, you know, we're a living temple, you know, that, that, uh, that uh, you know, that we're a holy nation, that we're a holy priesthood, you know, that the church itself has taken the place of the temple, and that, 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 that the body itself is where... God's presence is made most clearly manifest. I mean, God's present. God's present everywhere, but it's most clearly manifest when uh, you know when people realize that His name is hallowed, and that uh, that His kingdom would be manifest when we do His will on earth as it's as it's being done in heaven. You know that His kingdom would would be most manifest. Uh, when when we're doing his will here, and we get the strength to do his will, one of the means that we get the strength to do his will is 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 from the body of Christ. You know where the word is preached, where the sacraments are, where uh, where there's education, where there's uh, discipline, 
where there's discipling, uh, where we're encouraged to go out and do the will of God, um, and that we do it together. You know, we go out and do ministry together. Uh, so, so the strength to do God's will comes from His Word and from His from the church itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's we we talked about edification earlier. That's what we're talking right. about, building up one another, mutual encouragement. Yeah, how do you get that through, in the same way, how do you get that through, in its essential nature, through the inter- interwebs, through the telephone line? Right, so one of, the, one of the things that I think is important for me when I was thinking through this in terms of what it means to be essential is, you know, what what is it that we cannot do without, right? What stayed open during this COVID shutdown, right? We had grocery stores staying open, liquor stores staying open, hospitals stayed open, Home Depot <laughs> stayed open. Um, in the and out. center aisles of all the big box stores that have food, you know, not only were the food aisles open, but, you know, the place where we can indulge in our hedonistic materialism were also open. Right. Oh, know, I, and hedonism, hedonistic material will not hold us together. Right. You know, if anything, it will, it will separate us. You know, it'll, 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 right. it'll create more greed and more covetous, covetousness. Right. And Planned Parenthood stayed open, too, right? So, um, yeah, of course. You know, one, but as I thought about that, it's like, okay, so these are things that our, our country, our people, our government decided, these are things that are, we need. Like, um, essential to me means that which we cannot do without. We cannot live without, right? Um, so our government took it upon them to define what we can't live without. And some businesses, which are really, um, they come down to people's livelihood, right? They deemed some as essential, and other businesses and other people's livelihoods they defined as non-essential, right? And so I think it's important that the people of God, we, we obviously, if we're okay saying we don't need to gather as a church, then what we're saying is that the gathering of the saints is not something that's vitally important to my physical, mental, spiritual well-being and health, Right? And you guys mentioned edification, and the Bible talks about these things, that when we come together, it is for our edification. Um, Hebrews 3.13 says that uh, we are to encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness, right? So exhorting one another is a divine remedy. It's a divine medicine against sin's deceitfulness, right? And if we think about sin, it is the deadliest plague of all, right? Sin is that which leads to eternal death, right? So if we were willing to to walk into a grocery store risking getting this virus and risking actually infecting other people, in the case that we might have been carrying it, you know, how much more should we be willing to risk going to church, which is the only place that's designed to remedy the greatest plague of all, which is sin, right? 
the deadliest plague of all. And so, yeah, so scripture is clear, um, you know, that sin is greater than, you know, as you're a doctor, Eddie, you know, (laughs) would you rather have coronavirus or would you rather have sin without a cure for it? (laughs) You know, like Um, unforgiven uh, sin. Eternal death, the other one uh, leads to primarily to illness and rarely, you know, to a death that the believer will ultimately survive. And even you Absolutely. know when we look at when we look at you know uh, at at Christ when he comes into contact with the enemy after the wilderness, he says uh, that we should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He's saying that God's word is more, even more fundamental to our well-being than food itself. Mm. And then later, you know, when he's talking about, you know, um, to seek first the kingdom of God, you know, the first thing that we ought to seek in order to secure our provision would be the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Mm -hmm. And that justice and righteousness are almost synonyms in the Bible, you know, that that the two ideas go together. Those are two ideas that are intimately bound, that true justice comes from a righteousness that comes from faith, you know, that that Mm -hmm. true justice will eventually manifest itself through a righteousness that comes by faith. Amen. Yes, we are probably about a minute and a half away from closing, so I wanted to have you guys, Daniel, um, if you want to chime in, some final thoughts here, and then after that, Eddie, if there's time, if you want to give a final thought uh, briefly. Yeah, I would I would just echo what was said by Dr. Eddie right now, and, and what we're not talking about everybody in, masks off, packed together. The, the argument is never flout all notions of trying to protect mm. one another right. when we want it when we say we hunger for this gathering together we we hunger for this gathering together while keeping one another safe absolutely so i i hope that's been clear as a as a vein i, I mean imagine think of all the protesters coughing on one another by the way mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not the vision if you yeah, see that happening that's not the vision of what we're talking about with corporate worship amen Amen. And Eddie, if there's not anything you want to add, I would just kind of want to leave people with this final thought that church is essential and it's worth the risk of gathering, doing it in a safe manner, as Daniel mentioned, loving our neighbor, social distancing, you know, having masks, um, and loving one another, you know, keeping our neighbor safe. And it is vital to our emotional, spiritual, physical health that we do continue to meet together as a church in order to proclaim the gospel. And Charles Spurgeon said that faith by cheering the heart keeps it free from the fear, which in times of pestilence kills more than the plague itself. So uh, our faith is um, valuable in times of anxiety and unrest uh, because fear itself can cause harm um, if if it festers in our hearts. So... Uh, be encouraged, and we pray that you guys would uh, take this truth to the people around you. And until next Friday, this is Jason with Apologetics.com saying uh, God bless you and have a good night.